The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Well, hey. Uh, I am Merely Marsh, uh, one of the pastors here, and I'm pulling double duty today, as you may. Am I good? I'm good, okay. Where was I? Did I have a good time? Um, uh, so, yeah, I'm pulling double duty. Last time I spoke, uh, we had, um, we had our, our, a speaker scheduled, and he, didn't, uh, he, he bailed. And so uh, I, I spoke that Sunday. This Sunday, uh, I'm scheduled to speak, uh, but, but, the, but the previously scheduled um, worship-leading wife <laughs> that I have, uh, she bailed. Uh, so, so, and um, I haven't, I haven't really... <laughs> Figured out how to tell her, tell her how to tell her to do stuff. So I'm just not going to do that. Um, so you know, when she says, "Honey, I just don't think I'm going to." Okay, whatever, dear. And then I just deal with it. Um, and that's how marriage works. Um, so anyway, we're currently uh, finishing up track record four. And if you're not familiar with uh, the track record, um, I'll give you a little explanation. We have for the last few years, each year, identified. Six or seven songs, something like that, every year that we want to make a part of our celebrations. Songs with which we want to establish a track record. And, uh, and to help us do that, to help us get those songs into us, we make a, a recording project every year. Um, and if, you, if you've never heard the first three, uh, they're out there at the Mountain uh, Hello MP kiosk. You can pick them up. They're free, so take one with you. Hope you enjoy it. And it's a way for us to uh, build a history with some music, with some very good uh, uh, messages. And so for the next month, we're going to be taking uh, each week one of the songs off the new track record, which will be out, uh, oh, Launch Sunday. It'll be out on <laughs> one, two, three, Launch Sunday. <laughs> Reverse it. See, I was making fun of myself. And that's supposed to be endearing. Uh, that's why I did it. Uh, but anyway, uh, so, uh, and I'm the, I'm the guinea pig. I'm, I'm Mr. Hey, you go do the first one. So I'm going to talk about the song we just sang called The Stand, which is on the new track record. It's great. Uh, I love the way, I, I love the, uh, you know, we used to do it with just me doing it. And then one Sunday, uh, my voice was shot and I said, Hey, Lauren, I, I don't have time to learn this in a key. Can you sing this up an octave? And she said, sure. It sounds awesome like that. I love that. So, uh, anyway, props to Lauren. Um, so. I, I'll start by saying this. I spend lots of time looking for music for us. Um, and it's hard. It's hard finding music. And the big reason is, is because there's good and bad music to everybody. But, um, but good and bad's different to everybody. Have you noticed that? I mean, boy, I, I'm just going to say this. I said, it, I said it in the first service, and the room was split. I don't like Josh Groban. I'm just going to put it out there. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know him. I just, I'm just not going to buy his record. And he's not, he's not worried about that because he's sold 24 million of them. So, um, which, by the way, I would just go ahead and say, he's doing fine. You don't need to buy any more of his records. Okay? <laughs> there's, uh, there's no reason to weep for little Joshy. Okay? Yeah. Or Kenny Chesney, for that matter. He doesn't need anybody else's help. Let Kenny Chesney... Oh, did I get a hiss? Awesome. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, 
It's a front porch tequila night tonight, it sounds like. Uh, uh, or Creedence Clearwater Revival. Anybody? Just, uh, ooh, hurt feelings. <laughs> hurt some feelings. Okay, well, let's, let's respect the dead. Um, so we're all drawn to different music, and the music we do here at Mountain Park uh, reflects, obviously, music that I like or music that I think we would enjoy singing together. Uh, and I'm usually drawn to music, firstly, by uh, just if I like it, if I like the tune or not, if I like the melody, if I like the sound of it. Um, because it wouldn't make any sense if I just gathered up a whole bunch of songs that I don't like and said, hey, guys, here's that song I hate. Let's sing it together. Um, so I wouldn't, I'd probably be a really bad leader if I did that. Um, but first, I'm drawn to a song just by the music. Uh, and that's, this, that's the case with the song The Stand. Um, but then comes the lyric, and uh, the lyric is of utmost importance to me and, uh, and to our community, because if we sing something, it's going to get in us. We just can't help it. Music gets stuff in our heads. If I said, everybody clap your hands. Exactly. You can't, you, you got to, it gets in your head, you have to clap after that. It's just, you can't, you can't not. I mean, obviously some of us could not, because we didn't all do that. So I appreciate that. But I do appreciate what happened right here in about this row right here. Um, uh, but uh, so, uh, oh, so lyrics. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm getting lost. Uh, so lyrics. So the first time I heard the stand, when you know, when you, when you share a song with somebody, you kind of share the chorus of it, you know, the main part. And so the main part of the stand is obviously the, you know, I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. That's not that part, you know. And so the first time I heard it, all I heard was, hey, Marsh, you got to hear this song. It goes like this, and I'll stand with my arms high. And I just thought, that doesn't sound like anything I think we'd really want to sing together. Uh, because it's just, you know, is this, I'll stand with my arms up in the air. I don't, I don't know. It sounds like a hokey pokey uh, kind of worship song. So I wasn't too, too thrilled about uh, the focus of it. I hadn't really heard um, uh, anything more than, than people getting up and standing up. And so I kind of took, took the song and put it to the wayside and kept it at arm's length. I still liked it uh, because of the melody, but I hadn't really given it its full shake. But more and more folks came up to me and said, Marsh, I think you really need to give this song uh, a full audition. It's a great tune. So one day, from all of this coaxing, I decided, okay, uh, I'm going to do that. And here is, why, uh, here is why the lyrics are so important to me. I may have shared this before, but about, uh, about eight years ago, I had a very um, humbling experience. Uh, so if I've shared this, please, uh, please forgive me. Um, but I was doing a, a recording, a, a worship album for a little record label. And um, I had just finished the first, I don't know, six or seven first batch of songs, wrote them, sent them in, and, uh, and was getting ready to go in the studio. So the day before we go in the studio to record, the record label calls me up and says, hey, Marsh. I said, hey. They said, don't go into the studio tomorrow. And I'm like, why not? They said, well, we, we really like the direction um, musically and stylistically, we think you've got that down. We love uh, all the music stuff that you sent us. But lyrically, we think we'd like you to take the lyrics and go home and maybe read your Bible. Uh, so, which, as you can imagine, was a little hurtful. Uh, and I was a little shocked. Um, but they said, Marsh, what, what we sing 
we're going to ultimately believe uh, because it just gets into us. And if you're going to introduce a whole bunch of songs into the worship culture and, you, and your idea for these tunes is that uh, they're going to be sung by churches, they need to be... Uh, they need to hold up to Scripture. You need to take your lyrics and hold them up to Scripture. So I look at lyrics in that fashion now uh, uh, when I'm looking at worship songs. I have that filter because I was so slammed upside the head with it at one point. So uh, I went back and listened to the stand after all of uh, this coaxing from friends, and here is what I heard. You stood before creation, eternity in your hand. You spoke the earth into motion. And that sounded to me kind of like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So that's a pretty good start, I would say, for the song. Uh, you stood before my failure, carried the cross for my shame. My sin weighed upon your shoulders. And that kind of sounded like John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Song goes on to say, So I'll walk upon salvation, your spirit alive in me, this life to declare your promise. Which sounded a whole lot like Paul when he said, Present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. And then the song asks this great question. So what can I say? What can I do? I think that's a great question. As, as we've just seen, the, 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 the song takes us through all of these things that God has done for us and who he is. So what should our response be? What is the essence of our worship? What should that be? And that's what I want to talk today about. So let's pray, okay? God, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for your word. I pray that we will learn things about you today. Speak to us this morning. Help us to lean into you and listen. Amen. So what can I say? What can I do? What should my response be? Should my response be to raise my hands like it says in the chorus, like I first heard? Should my response be something like uh, taping a Bible verse to my fridge every week so that my family can learn a new Bible verse or something like that? Should it be to get my checkbook out and fill in Mountain Park and the pay to the order of line? I mean, these are all things that the Bible definitely uh, speaks to. Um, hiding the word in your heart. Um, putting your treasure in a place. But it's not the goal of uh, worship. It's not, and I know it's not, because Jesus says so. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you where. Uh, he was having a talk in Matthew with the Pharisees. Now, if you don't know who the Pharisees are, they are the pious, righteous uh, leaders of the day. Uh, they, knew, they knew what to say. They knew what and when to do it and how to do it and why they were doing it. Um, they were also uh, very influential and dug that about themselves. And uh, they were also scared a little bit of Jesus' teachings. They often tried to trap Jesus with his own words. As he would be speaking to people, they would kind of be over here listening, and they would kind of try to throw darts in there and trap him in his words. And I don't know why they did this more than once, because it never worked for them. It always backfired. 
because Jesus was pretty smart, uh, being God and all. Uh, so, so one time, uh, he is, uh, he's talking, you know, to some folks. Actually, not, actually, the disciples are just sitting down to have some dinner, and the Pharisees say, hey, your disciples are eating, and they haven't yet washed their hands. And this is where Jesus has his, well, it's, it's not what goes into a person's mouth that makes them unclean. It's what comes out of their mouth. That's where he comes up with that whole thing. So it's this little, this, this little uh, vignette right here. And they start to get mad. And Jesus says this. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. So although it's a peace, our response is more than what we say or do. Jesus is saying right here that worship is a real, authentic experience in the heart with God, or it's nothing at all. Jesus also says in John, and I got this from the message because I love the way it was worded, your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father's looking out for, those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. So those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. Uh, a favorite pastor of mine, his name's John Piper, he says this, and I've kind of adopted a lot of what he says right here through the rest of this talk. The key to praising Christ is prizing him. That the vital essence of that inner experience of worship is a cherishing of Christ as gain or a being satisfied with God in all that he is for us in Jesus. The key to praising Christ is prizing him. The inner essence of worship is that we are completely satisfied in him and we look for our satisfaction there and we value Jesus more than anything else. Paul said in Philippians 1 that his expectation was that he would magnify Christ by life or death because to him to live was Christ and to die was gain. So what that means is, is the way that we make a big deal out of Christ in death and in life is by counting him to be worth more than everything else. The key to praising Christ is prizing him, and he is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Are we good so far? God is magnified when we cherish him above all things and come to tell him that and come to find more of him. He serves us by giving life and breath and everything about himself that goes to the deepest recesses of our hearts. We worship first and foremost by thirsting and hungering for God above all things and doing that first. So that means that we worship first and foremost by being served by God. Now, we call this a worship celebration. Of course, before we called it a worship celebration, and most of the rest of America calls this a worship service. And it is a service because God is serving us. And he serves us what we most desperately need, namely him. So if the vital essence of that inner experience we call worship is being satisfied in God and valuing him, that is why in Romans 12, which I'm going to read in just a second, portrays all of life as worship. And you might ask, if, uh, 
if God can't be served by human hands but loves to serve us, then what does life look like? How does that play itself out? And the best thing I could come up with was something I learned when I was a kid. You get up in the morning and get your heart fixed on God. You renew yourself by reading his word. And then you spend the whole day looking to make that grow. So here's, here's Romans 12, what I just mentioned about where Paul talks about connecting all of life with worship. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So once again, the essence of worship is being satisfied with Christ, prizing Christ, cherishing Christ. When I say on Sunday mornings and I'm praying and I say, we, you know, let us lean into you, God, this is what I'm talking about. Help us to find our satisfaction in you. Help us to find you as the food for our souls. Because we know from Philippians that treasuring Christ is gain makes much of him. It lifts him up. It worships him. So if the essence of our worship is being satisfied in Christ and valuing him more than anything, then I think that means some things for us. I'm going to walk you through a few things I think that means. One is if the essence of worship is being satisfied in God, and valuing him more than anything, then the pursuit of joy in him is not an option. It's our duty. There are folks, and maybe, maybe you know folks like this. Maybe you are this person. Um, uh, I, I think it's a very, it seems to be a very Christian thing to uh, somehow think it is not right to seek for happiness, even in God, maybe especially in God. Maybe we're supposed to live kind of beaten down. But that's deadly for authentic worship. Because to, to the degree that we allow that thought to pervade our thoughts, to that same degree, worship dies. Because we're not satisfied. We're not looking for our satisfaction in Christ. So I would say to you that the basic attitude of worship is not walking into a place with your hands full, ready to give. Rather, walking in with your hands empty, ready to receive something. Ready to receive from God ready to fill up from God. And what you receive in worship is, is God. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It is God. We should come hungry and come thirsty. We should come saying, my soul thirsts for you, like the Bible says. Because we honor him like crazy when we are a people that realizes that we are hungry and we are thirsty, and the drink and the food are him. 
remembering to lean in on God will go a long way to restoring authenticity of worship. Something else I think uh, is an implication for us if we believe that the essence of worship is being satisfied in God is that worship becomes radically Christ-centered. One of my favorite um, speakers, John Piper, puts it like this. Nothing makes more supreme and more central or makes God more supreme and more central than when people are utterly persuaded that nothing, not money or prestige or leisure or family or job or health or sports or toys or friends, nothing is going to bring satisfaction to their aching hearts besides God. This conviction breeds a people who go hard after God. They are not confused about where they, why they are here. They do not see songs and prayers and sermons as mere traditions or mere duties. They see them as a means of getting to God or, or God getting to them for more of his fullness, which they want because God is gain. So I, th- I think we fall into a trap uh, every, every now and then. I think we, uh, um, we, we think, I need, to, I need to give more to God. I need to give better to God. Now, don't, don't hear me saying that, I, that, I, that we shouldn't try. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we shouldn't try. I'm just saying that if God needed something from us, he wouldn't be God. Does that make sense? Because God's doing fine. God's, God's totally fine without us. We are fortunate to be on his mind. We, we need to focus less on what we can give and more on filling ourselves with God. Because if our, if our focus shifts on what we can give to God, then I think sometimes it goes to the point of what we're giving to God and the quality of that. Does that make sense? Like, um, am I singing good enough for God? Is our band together enough for God? Is Alan preaching enough that's worthy of Jesus? Is the, is the tech team back there, are they doing a good enough job back there on those machines that is worthy of the King of Kings? Uh, because, I mean, I'm an okay singer, but God's heard better, right? <laughs> um, if, you, if you've ever been in the choir here, at the church, or you're in the band, or uh, you've ever done anything up here with me, you've heard me say this. We can't sing well enough to cure cancer. Our band can't be tight enough together to put God in somebody's heart. It's impossible. Fortunately for us, it's not our job. Our job is to focus and lean in on the person who is our all-sustainer who satisfies us, and then he does the miracle work. Nothing keeps God at the center of worship like the conviction that the essence of worship is deep, heartfelt satisfaction in him, and the conviction that that pursuit, the conviction of that pursuit is why we're here together. Uh, Another implication of the essence of worship being satisfaction in God is that it presents worship as an end in itself and protects it from selfish and ulterior motives. What I mean by that is uh, 
we can't say to God, I want to be satisfied in you so that I can have something else. Otherwise, we're not satisfied in God. We're satisfied in something else. And that, that doesn't worship God. That dishonors him. But, and I found this somewhere on the internet, and I can't uh, properly quote it, so I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, um, to whomever this is from, if it's one of you in here, hey, way to go. Uh, I'm, about, I'm about to quote you. Uh, but in fact, for many people and pastors, the event of worship, and what I mean by the event of worship is the Sunday morning program. Do you get what I'm saying? The, hey, we've got to have this music. Hey, we've got to have this. Hey, we need to have these videos. Hey, we, and as you're looking around, we have those things. Um, and and I, so I, I don't say it as, as an admonishment to anyone, just a, let's look out for ourselves. The event of worship on Sunday morning can become a means to accomplish something other than worship. We worship, you see it in quotes, to raise money. We worship to attract crowds, to heal people, to recruit volunteers, to improve church morale, to give talented musicians an opportunity to fulfill their calling, to teach our children the right way, to help marriages stay together, to evangelize the lost, motivate people for service project, to give our churches a family feeling. And if we do all of these things in the name of worship, then we tell the entire world that we have no idea what worship is. Does that make sense? Because genuine affections for God end right there. I can't, I can't tell Lori, my wife, I can't say, Lori, darling, more ravishing than the flowers of the field. and I feel for you so deeply and so intensely that words can't describe it tonight. I'm overwhelmed. Will you fix me a sandwich? Because, <laughs> because that's not love, right? That's hunger. That's what that is. And it, if I really love my wife, then it stops before the sandwich part, right? I love Lori. So that, that's the end of that. If I look at my kids, I love playing dolls with you guys because you'll go to bed early. That's not, that's not, I don't really love playing dolls with my kids. I love watching TV when they go to bed. So it's, it's, there's, there's not an ulterior motive there. And, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, when we, uh, that when we do worship authentically, that all the other things that I talked about before, um, uh, uh, raising money or, or, or building church morale or all that kind of stuff, that that doesn't happen. There are good things that happen when we do things authentically. When I authentically love my wife, trust me, our marriage is way better. Um, there is a good pro- a byproduct there. But if we worship for the reasons uh, I described earlier, then we're not worshiping at all. It's just not authentic. Keeping our satisfaction in God at the center guards us from falling in that pit. I want to say one more thing, I think, that, uh, that is for us if we say the essence of worship is being satisfied with God. And I'm going to take us back to that Romans passage. It accounts for why Paul talks about all of life being worship. Let me read it for us again. Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. 
And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. A living and holy sacrifice. And living's good because most times sacrifices are dead, so that's a plus for us there. Uh, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. So that's the first verse. And then he kind of says it again in a more practical way. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, which is good and acceptable and perfect. So what's it saying? It's saying devote yourselves in your Christian life to change, being changed. Don't settle for the level of transformation which you have right now. The text doesn't say get transformed. The text says be transformed. It's going to say be transformed tomorrow. The Bible's not going to change. You don't get transformed and then the lyric, then the text automatically changes from be to get. It is continually be transformed, continually grow in transformation. So how do I do that? How do I renew my mind? Do I just think, uh, do I just find out what the world thinks and think the opposite thing? Because that's, that might happen. Bless you. That might happen. Uh, but, uh, but that's not the whole thing. Do I, do I get a collection of sermon tapes and listen to them nonstop? John Piper says the renewing of the mind is more than different thinking or even right thinking. It is right valuing. Because Paul doesn't mean uh, go read enough books or listen to enough sermons that you can spot when something is good or of God. He's saying renew your mind so deeply that you can not only spot when it's the hand of God, but you'll love it and you'll live for it and you'll long to hunger to see it again. Does that make sense? This is what it means to have a renewed mind. The renewed mind can perceive and treasure and cherish the will of God because it perceives and treasures and cherishes God first. And doing the will of God is the outshining of God and his glory. That's why, that's why Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that, you may, that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's in Matthew. See, all of our life, is the inside showing out. That's why all of life is worship, and it's either going to be God or something else. What you value inside is going to show. And if you value Christ, then be transformed in the renewing of your mind. Cherish God and all his works and all his ways, and consider all the stuff in your old mind, gone, dead, vanished, and offer yourself as a living sacrifice that he may put you on display by the outshining of his worth and his value in your life. Worship him with your life. Let's pray. God, there's nothing we want more than to approve what is most worthy, value what is most valuable, and treasure what is most precious. Renew our minds, Lord. And take us body and soul and make us the instruments of your glory in the world. And let the renewal you are working from within show on the outside. This is our spiritual worship. 
to show the world that you are our all-satisfying treasure.